And so, hopefully you've had a chance to read through uh, Ortland's uh, book in chapters 5 and 6. Um, we'll try to uh, dive into that um, a little bit if you haven't. Um, I think even if you haven't, there's much that can be gleaned from the lesson. So by way of review, um, we looked at chapter 1, and we're, we're now in chapter 5. So chapter 1, going back and looking back, is uh, we looked at the heart of Christ, his very heart. And um, as you, you know, that um, Ortland's book is entitled Gentle and Lowly, and it looks at the heart of Christ. Um, we studied in chapter 1 his very heart from Matthew eleven twenty nine, where Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly of heart. And, um, you know, in that passage, he was asking or teaching his disciples to take his yoke upon him um, and to come to him because he is gentle and lowly of heart. So that's the title of the book. And then also in chapter 2, we got to see um, the heart of Christ in action. And I think the key word there as you look at your note is that um, Jesus had compassion on them. So, and that's a compassion that flows from Jesus' heart, from the deepest part of who he is. And, and I bring that out because we're going to be looking at that uh, a little bit more. Uh, there's a connection there in the Greek um, with that word compassion. And then in chapter 3, uh, we looked at the happiness of Christ. And um, chapter 3 is kind of the segue, if you would, into the book of Hebrews, which unpacks for us more than anything else. It, it, it's, a, it's a book of Christology, correct, right? And um, really gives us a glimpse into Christ in, in a number of different ways. So the writer of Hebrews, I believe it's Paul, but um, that's, that's debatable, but um, the writer of Hebrews allows us to get a glimpse of, of Christ looking at him from different vantage points, if you will. And one of them is as our high priest. And that brought us into our lesson from last week, um, where Hebrews 4.15, the writer of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And so the title of last week's lesson was that, that Jesus is able to, th to, to sympathize with us. Just some of the bullet points there on your note, um, you know, Hebrews teaches us that, that Jesus is unequivocally the mediator between God and man. He is the only mediator. Um, that he is sympathetic with our weaknesses, as we looked at before. Made like his brethren and tempted as we are. And that really sets us up uh, or, or teaches us about um, the superiority of Christ in his priesthood. Um, he suffered as real humans do. Um, and as you know, from being here at Cornerstone, a, a huge theological point early on in the church, um, especially when you consider Gnosticism. John writes about that in his three epistles, that there's this separation between the human body and the spirit and the soul, if you will. But Hebrews really unpacks for us and teaches us no, this is a deep connection. Jesus was a human being. And he suffered and experienced the same things that we did, yet without sin. That's what sets him apart and makes him the ultimate, the only of his class as a high priest. And then so he's able to sympathize with us. He suffered as real humans do. His grace and mercy are, are here to help us. And therefore, uh, as Hebrews 4.16 says, we are encouraged to approach him with confidence. And so as we move into today's uh, chapter, 
Um, it says, you know, he can deal gently, chapter 5 of Ortland's book. And that's from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2. Um, he can deal gently uh, with the ignorant and the wayward is how that's captured in the NASB. He can deal gently. I love how Dan laid out the lessons. Kudos to Dan again um, for giving us a series of questions that come directly from the text of the uh, Ortland's book and also helps us to do a little bit of a deep dive into Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 2, and the surrounding verses as well. And so we're going to look at this chapter through six questions, six or so. Chapter 5 is actually a two-part but one of the questions is, what kind of priest is Jesus? What kind of priest is Jesus? And as Ortland writes on page 52, I'll just skip over the but and go to the statement there. If our high priest himself knew what our weakness felt like so that he was in deepest sympathy with us, yet had never himself sinned, and so his heart had never turned in on himself in self-pity or self-absorption, that would be a priest truly able to deal gently with us. And I know for me, I had to spend some time just lingering over that statement by Ortland. And I love how he picks up on the contrast that the writer of Hebrews sets out for us between Jesus and any priest that came before him, who is either a shadow of him, as Ortland says, or in their role are designed to point us to Jesus, the ultimate high priest. And so because Jesus knows exactly what we experienced, um, yet without sin, he is able to um, be the type of priest who can deal gently with us. And I, you know, just to think through that a little bit, you know, man, as a priest, as you were ministering to someone, let's say, and as they were describing either their sin or their suffering, we're going to touch on that a little bit later in the lesson, but it would be really hard to, to be able to minister to them without feeling our own struggle. Does that make sense? Like something they say might take us back to something that we experienced in, in our own heart. And, but yet, the contrast is, is that since Jesus was sinless, he, he never turned inward. He doesn't turn inward to sin, to his shortcomings, to, man, I don't know if I can minister to this person because I'm just as guilty as they are of what they are confessing to me. Never does Jesus do that because he is not hampered, hindered in his ministry to us by sin. So he can deal gently with us. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. So here's a definition question here. What, what do we mean by, by gently? And uh, we, we, we studied that in the previous lesson in chapter 4, but uh, Ortland unpacks it a little bit more for us in chapter 5. Um, the word refers to passion or suffering combined with restraint or moderation. And you can find that on page 53 of Ortland's book. Jesus deals with us, not with frustration or impatience, but is calm and tender. Recall the way God dealt with Adam and Eve, and this is Dan, Dan's notes here. Recall the way God dealt with Adam and Eve in the garden after having committed cosmic treason, 
as R.C. Sproul describes it. He immediately went to work getting his hands dirty in order to cover their shame. I think the key verses there are Genesis 2.17 and Genesis 3.21. If you remember, in Genesis 2.17, God gave the command to Adam not to eat, to not eat or not to eat from the tree in the midst of the garden. And in that passage, the Lord says, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. You will surely die. And yes, we know that Adam and Eve, after they did partake of the apple, did experience a type of death, right? The scriptures tell us that their eyes were opened and they were aware that they were naked. And all those things are representations of, of sin entering and them being affected by sin, suffering the effects of sin. And what did they do? They made coverings for themselves because they were naked and they knew they were naked and they were ashamed. But what does God do? As we turn the chapter there to Genesis 3.21, God goes to work, as, as Dan points out, and he makes coverings for them. And I really like how, how, how Dan says this. God got his hands dirty. You know, we have that indication there that Hebrews picks up on a lot of the New Testament writers, almost all of them pick up on um, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So we have this picture of God, even back in the garden, being willing to get his hands dirty, a foreshadowing of Christ and the work that he does on our behalf and how he's able to deal gently with us. I think if you look at Genesis 3.21, you can pick up on that, that gentleness, that tenderness of the verse. Um, God doesn't scream and yell at them. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a baseball player, right? I'm a former athlete. And, you know, a lot of coaches get their point across through screaming and yelling. And uh, I'm hoping to tie this in a little bit later. If you talk to some athletes, they'll tell you that's exactly what they need. They need a coach who screams and yells and gets in their face and gives them a little kick on the backside, if you will, because that's what helps get the best out of them. But our Savior is not like that. He is always gentle and lowly towards us who come to him. And his desire is our response would be one of love, not one of performance to placate or to satisfy him, but one of love because of the love we've been shown, the gentleness that he shows to us. And man, I don't know about you, but... That means that makes a world of difference to me as I as I as I move into the the into the gospel and and as and I, I'm really bad with quotes so excuse me on this but as some of our our writers who we quote say that the sanctification is the process of getting used to your justification I think that ties in here just accepting that Jesus deals with us in Him in a gentle and lowly manner because that's the type of high priest he is. It takes some getting used to, doesn't it? You know, another thought that I'll just throw in there, um, it, it says in our title, uh, in, in the verse here anyway, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward in Hebrews 5.2. That's how it's translated. He, he can. And I don't know why, just the way my brain works, but I'll give you some insight um, sometimes I, I had to teach myself to stop asking people to do things by saying, can you do so-and-so? Um, 
Yeah, Michelle's mouthing the answer here, my dear sister. But, well, yeah, I can. Would you like me <laughs> to do what, you, what, what you're asking me to do? If you would like me to do what you're asking me to do, then ask me. I can do it. And it just brings up a good point about Christ, right? That's a good question. We know that he's able. He has the ability. But is he willing is he willing to be gentle and lowly towards us? And the answer is yes. Yes. And we'll get to that a little bit more, but let's jump down there if you wanted to turn to the backside of that, uh, that first page. Uh, the next question um, as we move through Ortland's chapter is just who are the ignorant and the wayward? And I'll just read this here. Um, this phrasing includes everyone. The belligerent sinner as well as the undercover hypocrite the fastidious rule keepers, and the careless rule breakers. God's law through Moses provided different sacrificial ceremonies for intentional and unintentional sins. By describing us as ignorant and wayward, the writer of Hebrews is describing all of us with all of our sins. And I think the emphasis there is, we're going to get into this a little bit deeper in the next chapter but we are all included. There are no exclusions to whom Christ deals with in a gentle and lowly manner. Now, we're going to um, talk about this a little bit more as we move into the next point or the next question. With whom does he deal gently? And that's a great follow-up question, right? And then here's a quote from Ortland on page 54. What elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner comes to him. If we never come to him, we will experience a judgment so fierce, it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And then uh, there's passages there from Revelation. Of course, we're in that in our verse-by-verse in our -verse study, uh, although we're doing this series right now on Cornerstone's DNA. You recall we just finished uh, Revelation chapter 20, I believe, where we talk about the second coming of Christ and how he's coming with that double-edged sword. And remember Pastor Milton taught us how, you know, it sets up as this war, right? This war at Hermagedon, but it's really a slaughter. You remember that? Um, Jesus comes and he opens his mouth and this double-edged sword as it was wipes out his enemies. And I love how uh, this is brought to bear here because it, it emphasizes the point of coming to Jesus. Um, it, I don't know everyone here today, but if you're here as a seeker, if you're here trying to learn more about Christ, trying to learn more about the gospel, more about salvation, this is a very, very important point. To come to Jesus. And we sing that song, right? A very popular song. If you're viewing us via live stream this morning, come to Jesus. Because this assurance of gentle and lowly in, in Jesus' response to us, in Jesus' heart to us, is a promise to those who have come to him, those who are in Jesus. The promises of Revelation 19, or how we see Jesus throughout the book of Revelation, is a promise to those who refuse to come to him. So my appeal to you today, both here and via live stream, 
Come to Jesus today and experience the heart of the gentle and lowly Savior. And heed the warning of Scripture. You do not want to wait. And we believe in imminence here. Jesus could come at any time. You do not want to wait and experience Jesus as the judge with the two-edged sword. Ortland goes on to say there, and uh, whom does he deal gently? If we do come to him, as fierce as his lion-like judgment would have been against us, so deep will, his, will be his lamb-like tenderness for us. To no one will Jesus be neutral. Well, moving on here, does Jesus really want to deal with our mess? I like how Dan puts that. What is his motive? Dan writes, he is not ambivalent about our sins, minimizing them as if they are not a serious issue. He knows far better than we do how destructive they are to others and to our own souls. And just to pause there, you know, Ortland does a really good job of pointing out in this chapter how all of our sins, all of our failures are an offense against Jesus Christ. So Dan, Dan mentions here that, you know, it, it's how destructive it is to us and to others. But ultimately, the seriousness of our sins is that they are sinned against a holy God. His desire is to rescue us from this, desi- from this behavior or this position, if you will, while transforming us from the inside out. He loves us and continues to draw us close to himself. He does not separate himself from us, dealing with us from a distance, but embraces us in our shame and gives us what we need to stand again. So appreciate that about Jesus and being reminded of his heart for me and for you. Um, if, If you're like me, when I sin or when I fail, I, there's just this natural tendency to move away, to not come to Christ, to give him some time to cool off, if it were. You know, again, I'm an athlete, you know. When you've messed up in the game, you don't go stand right next to the coach. You've all seen it. You go down to the other end of the bench because you don't want to experience that wrath. And I think in our life, in our walk, in our relationship with Christ, we can be the same way. But when we get deeper and deeper and get more and more used to the idea that Jesus is gentle and lowly. And we accept his invitation to come to him. Not as if nothing ever happened, right? We just talked about that. But to come to him, to confess to him, and allow him to pour out his love, this gentleness, this lowliness towards us, and remind us that we are his beloved children. And he will not cast us away. So that's a little preview of the next part of our lesson. Well, coming down to our last question here, how can Jesus persevere with our multiple failures? And there's a quote there from Ortland on page 56. Christ's meekness and gentleness, his patience and moderation is not peripheral or accidental, excuse me, accidental to who Christ is as if his truest delights lie elsewhere. This very care, this gentle dealing with all kinds of sinners, is what is most natural to him. When Jesus deals gently with us, 
He is doing what is most fitting and natural to him. And then I like how Dan puts there, this is the kingdom building work that Jesus does. This is who he is and this is how he expresses himself, how he shows love uh, to his own, those who come to him. You know, we could spend at least minutes unpacking that statement there because there's so much truth. But we want to press on here. I want to conclude this time with uh, reading ex- and also another extended quote from Mortland that really just jumped out to me. Again, here's the gospel appeal, the appeal of Jesus Christ. Look to Christ. This is on the bottom of page 57. Look to Christ. He deals gently with you. It's the only way he knows how to be. He is the high priest to end all high priests. As long as you fix your attention on your sin, you will fail to see how you can be safe. But as long as you look to this high priest, you will fail to see how you can be in danger. Looking inside ourselves, we can anticipate only harshness from heaven. Looking out to Christ, we can anticipate only gentleness. And all God's people said, amen, right? Amen. Well, there's a couple questions there for meditation. Uh, I won't take the time to, um, to look at those, but I would commend those to you for uh, further sto- study or further reflection as you uh, look back through the notes or even as you prepare for next week's lesson. Um, so I won't, I won't spend any more time there. So pressing on to chapter 6, we move to a different book of the Bible. We move to John, uh, John chapter 6, the book of John in chapter 6, and um, we'll be focusing on, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. It's based on John 6, 37. I referred to it earlier. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I'm going to skip down a little bit in the notes there to the middle of the page. I, I like what Dan has written there, and I think that serves as a good transition into this, uh, into this chapter. And so you could say, I recognize that Jesus is gentle and sympathizes with those who come to him. But how do I know that he isn't just going to drop me off at the next bus stop? Because Jesus declared his attentions to never, ever cast away whoever comes to him. So in John 6.37, going back to the top of the page there and borrowing heavily from our brother John Bunyan, uh, another one of his classic works, which Ortland, uh, I'd never heard of the book, so it was good to be able to, to uh, experience it through this chapter. Um, one of the, the points there is, is there's a mountain of consoling theology that is given to us in verse 37, a mountain of consoling theology. I really love that. Um, I know all of us here are experiencing different things. Um, we're, a lot of us in, in our congregation are experiencing weakness right now, physical weakness. And there are times in our, in our walk, in our life, that we need consolation. We need truth that brings assurance and comfort to our souls. And that's what we find here. So let's break this down a little bit as our brother John Bunyan did in his book. Um, 
it's, it's notice it says all, it starts with all. And again, not most. So there are no second class, third class believers who come to Christ. We're all in the same class. We are all included. And then uh, the Father, all that the Father, just pointing out that the Trinity is involved in our salvation. And this is not only the heart of Christ, but it is the heart of the Trinity for all of all who come to Christ. So we can have the assurance that the Father is gentle and lowly towards us. His heart is gentle and lowliness to those he has given to Christ and the Holy Spirit as well. What a truth that we need at times when we need consolation. And then, it's, and then it goes on and focuses on gives, not haggles over. I, I like that, how Ortland, uh, uh, you know, there, there's no haggling in the Trinity over those who have been given to Christ. Ah, man, I don't know about Alvin. You know, make me an offer, Lord Jesus. You know, I, I don't know if I should let him in or not. I don't know if I should reveal you to him. He, he's, he's out there. You know all the stuff that he's done? There's none of that in the Trinity whom the Father gives to the Son. And then, then will come. I love the assurance there. There's no mincings of words in that verb, right? They will come. And then Jesus goes on and says, whoever comes, whoever comes, here comes another consoling truth. And uh, John, uh, uh, excuse me, Dan includes a quote there from Mary Ten Merrill Tenney from his uh, work on the Gospel of John. The assertion of the choice of God as behind, before, and beyond man's own choice is not to make the latter meaningless. So our choice is not meaningless. But like we're, it's the gesture of a puppet. And as you all know in Christ, there's some criticism out there, right, <laughs> of the gospel. Um, well, that, are we just puppets? We don't have a choice in the matter. We just have to do what God tells us to do. Um, we get to do what God tells us to do, what it means it's coming to Christ, right? But rather, the choice of God is all that can make it meaningful. Since the salvation of God is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that hath mercy. That's from Romans 9, 16. Whoever comes, and then Jesus says, comes to me. We do not come to a set of doctrines. We do not come to a church. We do not even come to the gospel. All, are, all these are vital. I'm really glad that he included that because we use the gospel a lot here as a term to, to kind of capture all of the truth about Jesus Christ, about the message of the cross and the, and the person of Jesus Christ. So I'm glad that he didn't he put me in a bind of trying to explain why we use that term. I love how he says that all of these terms are vital. All of these thoughts, all of these teachings are vital. But most truly, we come to a person, to Christ himself. At, at the center of the gospel is Jesus Christ. The living, risen Jesus Christ. So it's not, the faith is not just an ideology. It's not just a belief system. It directs us to a person. 
a person who, who we are learning is gentle and lowly towards those who come to him. So I really love that. So skipping down there um, on, on your notes, what is behind, Dan, Dan poses a question, what is behind our innate suspicions of Christ's deepest heart? And again, this is a reference to um, the work of, of um, our brother John Bunyan as he unpacks John 36, 37 in his book. Um, we were once enemies, and we don't normally treat our enemies this generously. Grace and mercy we may extend in limited supply to those we care about, but we don't have an unlimited supply for those that have nothing to offer us. I really appreciate uh, Dan opening that up for us. And I think the point is, is that there's a part of us that says, this is too good to be true because I can't see within myself treating other people like this, let alone my enemies. Again, that's not really captured in this particular verse, but we know elsewhere in the New Testament that God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, violators of his law, of his command, of his character, of his nature, Christ died for us. So that, that what might be what uh, lies behind our innate suspicions of Christ's heart. But again, as we get used to our justification, a part of that is understanding, believing, and accepting and applying these truths about Jesus, the fact that he will never cast us out. And then we have a, a little bit of an extended quote there from page 62 where um, Ortland quotes John Bunyan's book. I'll just read through these real quick. He's, uh, here's, here's a list of objections, right? But I am a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. I have a note here. There's another quote on page 63. Um, I, I, it's a short one, so I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. Um, it's the middle of page 63, begins with Jesus' statement in John 37. It's kind of a summary, Ortland's summary of, of what John Bunyan is after in his book, Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. Um, he, he says that this quote, at the center of that book, all exists to calm us with the persevering nature of the heart of Christ. We say, but I, he says, I will never cast out. Again, just another very deep and powerful, consoling truth. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I need to be calmed. Um, week ago, Monday night, I believe it was, I've been 
dealing with some episodes with a kidney stone, trying to get it passed. And, you know, I've had two mild, moderate episodes. The first one, I had no idea what was going on. I was on the road, on a road trip, in a hotel room, like, what is going on with my back? You know, did I lift a weight wrong? Did I twist wrong? And then when I got home, you guys, <laughs> the guys here that went to the men's barbecue, September 1st, had the most severe attack. Um, ended up in the ER with my beloved wife, who would not leave my side <laughs> the entire night. And, uh, you know, just the symptoms I had is like, it's time to go get this thing checked out. And uh, by God's grace, it was a little four millimeter stone, which first one I've ever known that I've had anyway, which in the universe of kidney stones is on the small side. But the, the, the symptoms didn't feel like it. And, uh, and then a week ago, Monday night, another episode, just kind of out of nowhere. And um, as I was awake in the night with pain, because I couldn't sleep, I fell asleep and then was wakened up by the pain and just sitting there. You know, when you're in pain, your, your mind just plays with it. It just plays with you, doesn't it? it just, just You ask questions and think thoughts that you normally wouldn't ever think. And, you know, it's like, Thankfully, it was, a, it was a short conversation because of truths like this in the scripture. But it's like, man, Lord, why is this happening? And I know you have the power. Like, you can, you can blast this thing like they do with the, with the, with the uh, ultrasound and it would be gone. Or you could cause it to pass and I would be passed, you know. And just how your mind just plays trick with you, tricks with you when you're in pain. And I, I see by the head nods out there, I'm not the only one. And sometimes it's not even our pain. It's the pain of someone that we love. It's the struggles of someone that we love. It's that heartache that we feel for our loved ones who have not come to Christ or have rejected Christ. We've shared the gospel with them and they've said, no more, ever. And, and it just, man, Lord. But we have this picture of this gentle and lowly Christ. And even in our times of suffering and pain, is gentle towards us. And he will never cast us out. So as we come to a close here, um, on the last page of, the, of your notes there, uh, Dan poses the question, can we really trust that Jesus is not like us in that he does not run out of love patience, and mercy? And to answer that question, um, Ortland says, we cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart toward his own sheep. No such reason exists. So even in times of pain in the middle of the night, I am not cast out. Jesus loves me just as much now. His heart is just as much for me. He's just as gentle and lowly towards me in the midst of this pain as he ever was on my best day. And then skipping down to the next quote there from page 65. It is not what life brings to us, but to whom we belong that determines Christ's heart of love for us. And I, I put a star next to that session because that's when Ortland makes the transition for, you know, Christ not casting us out because of our sin, 
which we need that, right? That from the, the book of Hebrews, from the entire New Testament, like our sins will not cause us to be cast out of the heart of love that Christ has for us. But what about our sufferings? What about those trials that just seem like they're never going to end? What about the ramifications of some sins that we have committed in our past that are still with us in our present? And I just love, again, it is not what life brings to us, but to whom we belong that determines Christ's heart of love for us. We belong to Christ. And then uh, heading towards the end here, this is not only a matter of divine, divine decree. Let me start again. This is not only a matter of divine decree, but divine desire. Just going back to that. He can, but will he? It is his desire. This is heaven's delight. Come to me, says Christ. I will embrace you into my deepest being and never, ever let you go. For those united to him, the heart of Jesus is not a rental. It is your new permanent residence. You are not a tenant. You are a child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurances of his presence and comfort. Whatever our present spiritual accomplishments, it is who he is. I'm just going to ask you to memorize that last simple phrase because I know sometimes when I'm struggling I need simple phrases it is who he is he will never cast you out no matter what you are experiencing no matter what you've done it is who he is so there's some questions there to meditate upon again I'll leave those to you as you follow up or, or, or revisit this lesson or prepare for next week's lesson um, to help drive these truths a little deeper home. Um, as we uh, close up our lesson before we pray, um, next week we'll be covering chapter 7, um, what our sins evoke. It's a great, great next topic, isn't it? So how does Christ respond to our sin? And we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit more deeply next week. I may be your pinch hit relief uh, teacher again this week, but uh, we'll see what the Lord has in store. So uh, join me in uh, praying and just giving thanks to the Lord for being who he is. Lord, uh, I just really appreciate brothers like Dane Ortland and John Owen and John Bunyan and these men whom you have just uh, given the gift of words. Um, Lord, I just, I think all of us feel a real deep connection with, with John Bunyan um, He's, he's a lot like us, Lord. He was a lot like us. But he's a man that you used powerfully. You gave him the gift of being able to express truth in words and, and hammer it deeply. And Father, we need truths like this hammered deeply into us because of our sin and because of our circumstances. May we grow deeper and deeper into our understanding that you are gentle and lowly of heart, 
that you deal with us gently because you are our high priest and that you will never, ever cast us out or away from your heart. We are in your heart to stay. We thank you, Father, for this time together. We ask that you would bless us as we continue in our worship of you here corporately. I pray for everyone who will be leading us in worship, our worship team, Pastor Milton, whoever would be leading us into the things that are happening here at Cornerstone. And again, Lord, for those who are viewing online, we pray your richest and deepest blessings upon them. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.